So we're talking about uh, families, households, homes, marriages. And uh, I think a lot of times marriages in their most difficult uh, times feel like uh, wrestling matches. Uh, you know, the arguments and the quarrels, the spats and the... Uh, um, it just feels like when you were a kid, maybe you remember uh, your siblings or you wrestling and you would wrestle until one finally was able to overpower the other to the point where they could get the kid to say uncle, right? This is what, this is what marriages are like. It's, there's an argument and whoever's going to win is going to be the one that's going to be the loudest or the more, most persuasive or has more things to hold over the head of the other person. And what resolves the spats and resolves the quarrels, if you want to call it a resolution, is whoever comes out on top in that fight. But this, this is obviously not the biblical model. And if that's uh, the regular pace of your marriage, it's in trouble. Um, that's not what marriage is supposed to be. In fact, marriage is supposed to be um, much, much more glorious than that. You think of um, scenarios. A wife comes home, gives her husband good news that finally uh, she was offered this awesome uh, job. This, this, this would be an awesome career move for her. And he just doesn't like it. No. He says no. Argument. Right? Who comes out on top? She comes in and says, you know what? Uh, our daughter's going on a date tonight. He says, what? Yeah, I think our daughter's ready to date. And he says, no. Who comes out on top? He says, honey, let's go to small group this week. And she goes, no, I don't want to go to small group. Why not? I want to go to small group. And it, no, 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 small group's not for us, not for me. Yeah, but we should go to small group. Who comes out on top? See, any scenario you can come up with, it can be from breakfast to job moves to how to handle kids. It, these wrestling matches ensue. Who comes out on top? I think the worldly model is whoever's the strongest, whoever's the most verbally persuasive, or whatever. Um, but that's not the biblical model. When Atina and I first got married, or we we're, were going toward marriage, I remember having a, a brief conversation with her. It didn't last very long, but I remember it being very significant. I said, you know, we're going to come to these points at times where we don't see eye to eye. In those situations, who calls the shot? Who, call, who comes out on top? Who, whose way are we gonna, which way are we going to go? How do we decide that? Well, the biblical model is that when a husband and a wife are locking horns, don't see eye to eye, he says yes, she says no, he says black, she says white, the biblical model is that the wife always doesn't say uncle, but says husband. The biblical model is that the wife follows the husband's lead. That's what uh, Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 5, if you turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, this isn't the only place in the Bible that makes this very clear, but this is one place in the Bible that makes it very clear. Makes it clear that the wife, the Christian wife, founds her marriage on Christ, follows her husband's lead. Now remember, we started this whole series back in Genesis, right? Genesis, the reason why marriage is hard, the reason why things are all messed up is because sin entered the world, we're fallen, 
And then God promised that a Messiah would come and, and redeem what's wrong. So it's got to start with Christ. And that's exactly how Paul starts. So when we start in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see two things. One, he's going to say, every Christian that wants to be filled with the Spirit of God, every Christian that walks in love, that walks the way God wants them to walk, every believer that walks the way Jesus calls them to walk as a true disciple will submit to their human authorities. And then he moves into a series of examples, slaves to masters in those days, children to parents in any day, wives to husbands. In fact, that's the first example he'll use, and we'll see that. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, what does that look like? Falling on the floor? You know, speaking in tongues? Is it, is it happiness? What does Spirit-filled look like? Here's what he says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does being Spirit-filled look like? Singing, having songs in your heart, it's this joy, it's being thankful, having gratitude toward the Lord. And then look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence, for Christ. Now, how many people stop there and say, now it says submitting to one another. I submit to you, you submit to me, mutual submission. But there's no such thing as mutual submission. When two people are not seeing eye to eye, the both don't say uncle. <laughs> one of them one of them saying white, one of them saying black, you can't mutually submit. And we see that because when later he talks about slaves and masters, he's not saying and masters submit to slaves too. No. That's a one-way street. The submission is on the servants. Children to parents. That's not a two-way street, even though, you know, more and more, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, more and more you get the negotiating. Okay, I know you don't want to do it, but what if I buy you candy? Okay, well, this kind of candy? Okay, now, okay, good. My, my child is so good. No, he's not. You just, you just bartered with him. That's not an obedient child. That's a child that just got something out of you, okay? So it's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. So when we get to marriage, everything inside of us wants to say it's a two-way street, it's mutual. Sometimes he submits, sometimes she submits, sometimes he's right, sometimes she's right. So obviously, you know, uh, but that's not the biblical model. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, if you're someone who's an employee, you submit to an employer. If you're someone who's a servant in a house, you submit to the master of the house. If you're a child, you submit to your parents. Um, if you're in church, you submit to your elders. I mean, these, these things are all over the Bible. Now, his first example is marriage, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Not women submit to every man, but particularly in a marital context. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's just back up a second. I just realized I skipped something that's too crucial to miss. In verse 21, right, where he starts this whole thing, everything I'm about to tell you, he's saying, everything I'm about to tell you flows from reverence for Christ. You see that? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? And the, the literal word for reverence is fear. And I'm a little bit disappointed the ESV just kind of softened it a little with reverence. It's fear. Like, you know, you read the Bible, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And 
fearing God and you, you know this this fear now it's not a horror fear it's not the kind of fear like when you hear something bang in the kitchen at night and you elbow your husband so that he could go downstairs and check it out and while he gets killed you can escape with the kids or something um, that kind of fear like oh, you know it's, it's not like that it's the kind of fear like you have a dad who loves you loves on you spends time with you but has boundaries and it's this, I love dad, but don't, I know not to cross him. There's boundaries here. There's discipline. God has boundaries. His love is unconditional, but there's boundaries that he, 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 he saved you to live within. He's redeemed you to live within these boundaries. And if you fear God, you know there's lines you don't cross. One of those lines you don't cross is submission to authority. That's Paul's point. You submit to one another. Why? Ultimately, why? Why would I do that? When everything inside of me is saying, don't do that, I should have my way. Why should I do that? Because if you fear Christ, you fear his design. And if he designed it this way, you don't cross that line. And then he goes straight into marriage. In the marriage, what does it look like? In marriages, what does it look like to not cross that line with God? Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now I'll just give you, just look ahead, verses 25 all the way to 33. That's all for husbands next week. So the other shoe drops. Well, let's just take a time out for a second and camp out on, on his couple verses here for the wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In other words, wives follow Christ in their marriages by following their husbands. So he says, verse 23, 4, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. He's not saying your husband is Christ. He's saying there's a model. Marriage is a picture. Marriage is a billboard, a preview, a trailer. To every neighbor, every family member that you have, your marriage is a trailer, a preview, a picture of what the relationship is like between Christ and the church. That's how God designed it, that's how he made it, and that's one of its purposes, is to show what Christ is like, to show what worship is like between the love relationship between Christ and the church. And as, we, as you look through scripture, guys, this, this, isn't, this isn't easy, this isn't easy for me. My mom, she's a strong mom. And my dad, there was a lot of times where I just thought, you know, <laughs> You know, she, she's really the one that I should be listening to here. Uh, uh, she's, a, she's a career woman. She's the first one in our family to learn the English language. She didn't even know how to ask to go to the bathroom when she started school. Um, and she went to a pharmacy school and she became a pharmacist. And she's, she's a career woman. And she, she makes the money. She's always made the money. She was always the breadwinner. And so for me, coming from that context, I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm all for empowerment of women, women taking charge, women leading, because a lot of guys leave a lot of gaps. I mean, what, you know, this is the case. This is true. So this isn't my favorite, but it's just it's here. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it in Colossians. And every time it appears, it's tied to creation, not to culture. See, Paul's not saying because he's male chauvinist, then everybody was a male chauvinist back then. He's tying it to how it was designed from the beginning. And in this case, he's tying it to the picture between Christ and the church, and that's the model 
That's the example. That's the reason. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. In other words, why isn't the church in charge of Christ? It just wasn't designed that way. Why is the husband the head? Why was Adam created first? Why are they, why are they physically different? You know, why, why? Because God designed it that way. And Paul's argument is that God's plan, the way God made it, is for the husband to be the head and for the wife to follow. Now, why is this command so difficult? Why is this, why is this command so hard? I thought of a couple reasons. The first one is I think because we're swayed by culture instead of people being people that sway culture. Uh, I'm going to show you a couple of clips. And one of them is a sort of uh, uh, montage, I guess, of commercials, coffee commercials, like Folgers, from the 50s and the 60s. Now, some of you maybe could go way back and remember some of these commercials. I don't know. Um, I had to kind of investigate a little bit. I'm like, are these real? Uh, yeah, they're real. Uh, these are commercials, um, if we could bring them up, uh, from the 50s and 60s, which I think show what our culture was like uh, decades ago. Thank you for the flowers. You're welcome, darling. But if you could do one thing for me. What? Try to do something about your coffee. I hoped it would be better today. Oh, no. What's wrong? Oh, it's your coffee again. The desk sergeant at the station makes better coffee than this. How can such a pretty wife make such bad coffee? Forget the coffee, Marge. It's never very good. But still, I... I'll get some at the plant. <laughs> Did you ever see Larry looking so happy? Oh, honey, happiness is a vacation. <laughs> Away from your coffee. <gasps> this coffee is criminal. Honey, you killed the petunias. Then you admit it. Your coffee really is good. Honey, your coffee just doesn't taste any good. Try that one on your wife this afternoon. Now, why are these? Why is it? Why is it funny? Were people in an outrage? Uh, were people, you know, like up in arms? I can't believe, you know, we're gonna sue Folgers. No, this was this was the culture. This was the culture, right? Was it an abuse? Yes. And I think a lot of our resistance towards some of these teachings from Scripture stem from a resistance toward the abuses. Of scripture you know most of these guys maybe they grew up in church I don't know if they're you know Christian but it was just it, you know the 50s and 60s you think of the Christianness of everyone you know and they probably would have proof texted it with some scripture but it's an abuse the problem though is that we've swung the pendulum to the other end where we we're now we're disregarding scripture to react against an abuse let's show one more clip um, <laughs> Let's show one more clip. This is a commercial that I don't, you've probably seen it, maybe you haven't. Uh, that's it's either recent or out now. Uh, an AT&T commercial, which I think shows the pendulum swings to the other end. Let's take a look. You ready for this? I just signed the whole family up for unlimited mobile-to-mobile -mobile minutes. You're kidding. No. Where's that money coming from, Steve? Did it even cross your mind to ask your wife before signing us up for something so expensive? My mother was right. I should have married John Clark. They were free. 
I got them when I signed us up for unlimited messaging. When you buy AT&T's All right. Now, I wish that I had the time or the wherewithal to put together my own montage of commercials today. Um, I don't want to name companies, but uh, it could be, you know, my idiot husband buys the wrong paper towels. What a dummy. Uh, the husband comes in like a buffoon, all dirty from something, and she's like, what an idiot. Glad I buy bleach, or whatever it is. I mean, it's commercial after commercial. It could be cell phone minutes, cell phone plans. He doesn't know how to budget. He doesn't know how to clean. doesn't know how to manage the kids. Guys are dumb idiots, and women have to take over. And that's what's communicated in commercials today. And it's not just commercials. It's in movies, and it's the general vibe. If you go out and talk to the average um, uh, educated uh, woman, you're probably going to get this sense uh, that is that uh, is driving these kind of commercials where the pendulum is swung to the other end. Uh, I'm not your, your coffee maker. I'm not your secretary. Why does, you know, uh, and, and it swings to the other end where there's complete disregard for any kind of difference in roles. Um, rather than reacting to one extreme or the other, what if we just respond to what's laid out in Scripture? And if we respond to what's laid out in Scripture, even if it's difficult because we're so ensconced in the culture, even if it's difficult to say, you know what, this is the way God intended it. This is the way God planned it. This is the way God designed it. And this is what God commands in Scripture. It's for the wife to surrender leadership to the husband. Take lead from him. Persuade by culture. Um, we react instead of responding to the word. We react to culture. Another thing I think that makes it difficult for us is that when we see the word submission already right there, I didn't even know what to name this sermon. I had like 15 different iterations of it. So I'm like, that's offensive, that's offensive, that's offensive. I want you to give me a chance to speak before you you know, close the bulletin and, you know, uh, I don't know what to name it. I just say, you know what? Submission, I'm going to put submission in there. That's, that's the word. Now, we have a problem with that word because we think it means inferiority. Submission must mean inferiority. Whoever submits to someone else, they have to submit because they're inferior. They don't have the same credentials. They don't have the same this. They don't have the same that or whatever it is that makes them inferior. And that's why they have to submit. But that's not the scriptural model either. You know, there's verses all over the Bible, including, if you, if you want to jot it down, we're not going to go there, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, but there's a bunch more, where Christ submits to the Father. But there are other verses that tell us plainly that Christ is equal to the Father. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 16, the Word is Jesus Christ. He is God. And, and Paul in Philippians tells us that Jesus, when he came down and took on flesh to come to the cross and die for us, he didn't consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of. In other words, he gave that up in order to do this. Equality with God? How can he be equal with God? And then on these other verses, we see that Jesus Christ submits himself to the Father's authority. It's because it's not based on inferiority. It's based on design. This is how it's designed to be. So Paul's argument is not wives must submit because wives are not as intelligent. Wives are not educated. Wives, you know, are servile you know, beings that should be, you know, making better coffee. That's not, that's not where Paul is going. That's not his angle at all. 
What he's saying is that he's writing to the Ephesians and he sees families falling apart. He knows that families need to be bolstered and founded on Christ. And he says, listen, this is what I'm going to tell you. Wives, you need to learn follow, followership, you know, submission, which isn't inferiority. It's a voluntary act to follow. Wives committed to follow Christ or wives committed to following their husbands. And then there's this curious phrase in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So in what areas should a wife submit to her husband? In the areas that he's an expert in. Okay, so if he wants to stain the deck, she's not going to say it should be this thing. Okay, that's, that's your department. But he's not going to tell my daughter how to dress because I'm a woman and I know how these things go and you're not going to. Submit in everything. I mean, Paul's not leaving anything out. He's not like leaving wiggle room. You know, when it comes to finances, let him make the decisions. But everything else, go ahead. No, not everything else, go ahead. And so again, is this abused? Yes. You can have a scenario where the husband says, I don't think you should be wearing any bright colors. It draws attention to you, and you're my wife, and I don't like that. Too flamboyant. So you're only going to wear beiges and three sizes extra larger than you, than you fit or whatever. Well, maybe he's a jerk. And then you have another husband who says, uh, you know what, hon? You're beautiful. I just want you to kind of show it off to everybody. You know, could you wear something that's not quite as low cut? I want you to learn... Maybe he puts it too softly. And then you got all the guys in between. But what Paul's saying is, from that guy to this guy and all them in between, submit. Now, I think my daughter's ready, but my husband says no. Then guess what the answer is? I mean, this, this is what we have to come to. We have to get to application. If we leave this in the theory, in the realm of theory and abstract, we leave going, yeah, I get, I get what the Bible's saying. Anyway, where do you want to go to eat? I want to go here. And then you get to the restaurant, you start talking about finances and school and things and in-laws. And I'm going to have my in-laws come over. And no, 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 not this weekend. Well, listen, you had your in-laws over. And it's going to happen immediately. You're going to be challenged on this particular point. Do you submit to the husband's leadership or not? Another thing that's striking in this passage is we talked about with honor your mother and father. He doesn't base the wife's obedience to this command on his deserving it. He's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands when they're good in everything or only in the things that are, you know, make sense to you. No, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord in everything. That doesn't put a, a qualifier in there, husbands that make good decisions, husbands that have a good track record or when you feel like it. Uh, no, in, in everything. In all things. To who? To your husband. When? And everything. What if he's immature? Bad choice. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. This is this is what this is the struggle. Women that want to obey this but have a hard time because the guy is angry, immature, not very spiritual, doesn't care what the Bible says doesn't really go to church, doesn't read the Bible, 
didn't even grow up in church. He's just doing things the way his father did it, the way his grandfather did it. He's just doing things the way Hollywood portrays it in movies. Paul says that's, that's not an exception. In fact, Peter makes that point even clearer. If we could throw that verse up there, Bob. Peter makes the point really clear. And we'll, we'll read this really quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 3, here's what he says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, a disobedient husband, a husband that doesn't do his devotionals, a husband that doesn't go to church, he didn't grow up on the flannel graphs in Sunday school, even if he doesn't obey the word, be subject to your own husbands, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, what's Peter saying in that verse? He's expounding a little more than what Paul was saying, but what Peter is saying is that even if your husband's an unbeliever, how are you going to win him? Bashing him with the Bible? Calling the pastor, the elders, the small group leaders, and like, listen, jump him after work. Just gather around him and say, hey, you're coming to small group. Can you set him up? He's, he's, he's had a hard day. Today's a good day. The iron's hot. Strike. You know, blasting him on Facebook, I can't believe my husband, he just doesn't get it, blah, blah, blah. Peter's formula is the same as Paul's. Follow him. But he's immature. He just, follow him. There are no exceptions. Except when he contradicts verse 21. If your finger's back in Ephesians. Remember verse 21? Where Paul said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear for Christ. And remember, as you develop a relationship with Christ, you learn that there are boundaries you don't cross. Now, if your husband ever asks you to cross a boundary, you don't do it. Because he's not Christ. But in the things that don't cross boundaries with Christ, in everything that's within those boundaries, you submit. You follow Paul's point is this, if it clearly disagrees with you, wives, if something he wants you to do or wants you to stop doing clearly disagrees with you, but it does not clearly disagree with Jesus, you do it. That's Paul's point. In reverence for Christ first, or as long as you're not being asked to cross the line with Jesus, you do it. Does it bother Jesus? If you wear a top that's a little higher, does it bother Jesus if your daughter waits a few more years to date? Does it bother Jesus if he says homeschooling when you wanted private school? No. Those are things that are not necessarily clear in the Bible. You can go this way, you can go that way. Husband saying this way, that's the way you follow. And this is another reason why I just want to say for a second, this isn't even my... This is another reason why premarital counseling is so important. Oh, I love him! Yeah. You got to follow this guy. Well, he's kind of a jerk sometimes, but, you know, like, he's cool. He always says sorry. you got to follow this guy, right? And maybe some of you feel stuck, like, I wouldn't have, but I did, and now you're... <laughs> but that's why I put that verse up from Peter. He's saying God can even redeem that situation. Somebody was just telling me the other day how their husband's coming around and is growing, you know, like never before. And is, and is getting interested in church and interested in Jesus and starting to think along these lines when she stopped resisting him. Submitted and is winning him over. Does it happen every time? I don't know. But Peter's saying, God can do that. 
God can use your submission to win your husband over and make him into a person that you want to submit to, that you want to follow. And man, I can't wait till next week because I shouldn't even say it because then the guys won't show up. I mean, seriously, guys, guys, like be follow worthy. <laughs> you know, I mean, guys need to step up. And if it weren't for my mom, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't even be here. I'd be like in a gang somewhere. Moms have to pick up all the slack. Okay, I'm going into next week. I'm going into next week. Wives, if it clearly disagrees with you, even if it disagrees with you, but it doesn't clearly disagree with Christ, you follow. You follow his lead. Now, a quick point I want to make is that this does not negate discussion. In other words, the, the, the command to follow your husband doesn't mean you can't have discussions with your husband, doesn't mean you can't even object to your husband, doesn't mean you can't disagree with your husband. There are going to be disagreements, there are going to be discussions, there are going to be objections, there are going to be those situations where you have to voice a concern and say, look, I'm, I'm, I've been praying, I, I see it this way, and there's going to have to be those discussions. How do you, how do you submit in a way that shows that, yes, we can still discuss, yes, we can still talk, yes, we can even still have arguments or debates. Well, first, it, what matters is not that you have arguments or don't have arguments. If, if you say, we, we, we never have any arguments, hey, you guys just don't, you, you don't talk, you, you have the night shift, you have the day shift, or what's going on over there? You don't have arguments. Of course, you're going to come to disagreement. Everything from carpet to finances and everything in between. There's going to be disagreement. What matters is how you disagree. How you disagree. Are you respectful? The Proverbs talks about, you know, the nagging wife. and You know, the dude would rather sleep on the corner of the roof of the house than live inside the house with a nagging wife. I mean, like, bip, 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 bip. don't do that. Right? There's a way to disagree. My kids, are they can disagree with me. Dad, I was wondering this. Nope. Well, but da, 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 da. they can do that. I don't go, what'd you say? I said no. We can talk. But if the, it's how they do it, right? Similar. I'm not saying wives are the, the level of the kids. I'm not saying that. Just using different examples. Now, a wife can, can do it through bickering, can do it through nagging, can do it through quarrelsomeness, can do it by throwing things, can do it by sort of subversive, passive-aggressive acts of silent treatments and withholding you know what I'm talking about and and you know uh, uh, block some ears um, and you know there's other things that you do to get to the husband you, you know how to push his buttons don't do that you can disagree in a manner that's still submissive and saying this is what I think as long as at the end of the day his conclusion becomes the conclusion for the family rather than two conclusions at the top there's one conclusion and that's where the husband leads. That's the biblical model. It's how you disagree. And then in the end, saying, even if it disagrees with me, as long as it doesn't disagree with Christ, I agree to follow. That's the, that's the command. That's the mandate for wives. And as difficult as this is, I think we have to keep our focus on the cross. 
The cross is where we get humility. You know, the cross is where we get this place where we where we come to it and we say, man, look, look at how look at all that Jesus gave up. Look at how Jesus subjected himself to the Father. Look how Jesus he was equal with the Father and was able to come to a place of submission to do this task, to do this mission. And wives are being called in Christian homes to step up and say, you know what? The mission of this family is to proclaim Christ. The mission of this household is to be a billboard for Jesus. And the way that we do that is for me to submit to my husband. There are other things, but for me as a wife, my role, my, my mandate, my thing is to follow the leadership of my husband. And if your household isn't based on Christ, I don't see how it's going to get going in that direction. You might be naturally submissive and your husband is naturally, you know, and so it looks on the surface like you're following this, but not really. You can't follow, you don't follow your husband because you're scared he's going to yell at you. You're supposed to follow your husband because of your reverence for Christ. Not your reverence for your husband's stats, his clout in the community. Reverence for Jesus. That's why we do it. That's why wives do it. And God's promise is that when you do your part, I can do many things. I can rebuild your home even to the point of saving an unbelieving husband. That's amazing. This is so integral to what marriage is supposed to be like that when you do it right, even the piece that's the most broken and far off, God can bring it in, into the stream of obedience. And it can start with the wife. I think in many households, it does start with the wife. You know, all over America, churches are filled with more women than men. I, I, you know, I don't know what it is, but, but women really lead the charge in many respects. And you can lead the charge in the home, not by taking over, not by yelling, not by trying to get the kids to tag team him with you, but by following his lead. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Um, I could stand up here all day and give different, you know, illustrations, examples, but I think you guys uh, have your own uh, have your own.